If you would, please open your Bibles to our passage for this morning, Luke chapter 1, would be verses 26 to 56. Again, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 56. And before we read our passage this morning and begin to study and see what the scriptures hold for us regarding this Advent season, please pray with me so we can ask uh, God for his help in understanding this passage. God, Father in heaven, one who is above us and before all time, triune and majestic, Lord, I pray that you would help us see the majesty of this scene unfolding in this passage of Luke before us. Please make us wise to apply the scripture to our lives. Lord, we can know nothing apart from your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that worked creation, the Holy Spirit that conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary. Lord, I pray that this Holy Spirit, today and now, would be with us as we study your word, and that the gospel would go out and be heard and be known, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be rejoiced in, and that we would treasure this moment in history as believing Christians affirming the truth that we find here in the passage today. Lord, we ask all these things in need of your help. In Christ's name, amen. I'll go ahead and read, beginning in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Please follow along. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when, you when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. As we enter into our passage this morning, I want to go back to what was preached last Sunday and just remind you of how we came to this part of the story to set the context for what we're about to look at. And we'll remember that Zechariah was also visited by the angel Gabriel. As Aaron's email reminded us very helpfully, and uh, he was essentially presented with an opportunity to believe. Zechariah had the chance to believe what the angel spoke to him. And eventually he would come to believe, but he didn't believe immediately. He didn't believe as the situation justified he should right from the start. And so as an instructive discipline, Zechariah is struck mute. He's not able to speak. And yet this wonderful thing has happened to him. And his wife in her old age is going to bear a son as we read about in this passage again. And as we look at that, that should whet your appetite because Mary is being spoken to by the same angel. And the last time that Gabriel spoke to someone, they weren't able to speak. So now we see Mary being spoken to the same angel. And that should have you on your toes, anticipating what's coming down the pipeline, anticipating the changes and the expectations in the scripture. And so as we move from that passage to this passage, we're going to three, see three scenes unfolding. Three scenes as we move through this nativity scene, as we move through this Advent uh, season. And the scenes are this. First, Gabriel visits Mary. And it's preparatory. He's preparing her for the work ahead of her. That she could walk in the good works that God has prepared for her specifically. So Gabriel visits Mary. Second, Mary visits Elizabeth. She goes and she wants to check out what Gabriel told her had happened. She wants to join in fellowship with Elizabeth. And then third, we see that as a result of all the activity of God, you'll see that Mary burst out in song. She cannot restrain herself. And this is all done within the scope of the promises of God. This Advent season and these studies have been named by Aaron, prophecy and promise. And you'll see the promises first alluded to by Gabriel as he speaks to Mary. And what I want to drive home today, what I want you to see in these passages, in the broad picture, is that every man, every woman, and every child needs the promises of God. They need the promises of God from old, they need the promises of God fulfilled, and they need the promises of God today, so that we can truly celebrate in this Christmas season what the season is about, which is Christ and the promises that he answers. So if you would, please look at me. Uh, look, look with me at our first section, which is Gabriel prepares Mary by speaking to her. Gabriel visits Mary. This will be found starting at verse 26 and 27. And I want to call to your attention as we get to this passage, we sang a song, the first hymn of the morning, Angels from the Realms of Glory. And you'll note some verses in there, and they say this, Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear, Suddenly, the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn king. That line from the song, Angels from the Realms of Glory, says that they were watching long. The saints are watching long. Why are they watching long? Because God has made promises from of old. They're waiting for the answer to those promises. It says that they're watching long in hope. That means they're trusting in God to fulfill his promises. 
and they're watching in fear. That means that they're reverentially trusting that God's character is true to fulfill that which he promises, that there is no deceit in God, that God can be fully trusted, that he's fully true. Everything that he says will happen will happen. And as we look at this passage today, we see God holding true to his promises right before our very eyes in the history of the Bible. So if you look with me first, please find in verse 27, you'll see that uh, you'll see that Mary was betrothed to a man who was of the house of David, of the house of David. And as you look again, you'll see that not only was Mary betrothed to someone of the house of David, but in verse 32, it says that the child that Mary would bear would be from the throne of God, or from the throne of David, from the throne of David, so of the house of David and from the throne of David. And he would rule forever on the throne of David. This is an answer to an Old Testament prophecy from 2 Samuel 7. This is an answer to a promise that God made to David, a descendant of Adam, that he would one day put someone on the throne who would be a perfect king, an unending king, a king who rules in justice, and a king who brings about peace, and a God, a, a God and a king who judges with, with equity, who judges fairly, who can always be trusted, a king who you can always turn to, a God who, under whose reign there will be unending abundance and provision. This is the fulfillment of the promise to David that someone would sit on that throne and that he would be of that house. God answers his promises from of old. Remember the promises of old. But a promise was made even before that. You see, this promise is as old as Adam. Whenever you look at the verses, when you look at verse 35, you'll see that this child that's going to be born of Mary, conceived by the Spirit, is titled the Son of God. Now that title phrase. It's almost like code in the Old Testament. It's, it's loaded with Old Testament meaning. And that can have a few nuances to it. One of the nuances refers to the second person of the Trinity, the son of the, of the triune God. It refers to the second person sharing in divine nature. But that's not the greater weight of this word in this passage. Commentators tell us that son of God in this moment tells us more about the native sense of the son of God, the natural sense. So I want you to think about it like this. The Christ child that's described here by Gabriel is going to be the son of God conceived by the spirit in the same way that Adam in the garden is described as the son of God and described in the book of Daniel as the son of God. So the same way that Seth is the son of Adam, Adam is the son of God. Likewise, this child to be born of the Virgin Mary will be called the son of God. And that's important because this child is going to be the second Adam. This child has the right, because of the way that he's conceived by the Spirit, to represent mankind to God and do that thing that all mankind needs to be done for them since the garden. And we must remember the garden. The gospel is in the garden as much as we find it in the New Testament here. And we have to look back to appreciate Christmas because in the garden is where we first see our need, every one of us, in our own heart. We know that there's sin in our lives. We know that we fall short of perfection and the expectation of holiness of God. But in the story, in the garden, when man fell and God is distributing his disciplines, his punishments, and first to the serpent, and then to the woman, and then to the man, when God is speaking to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, he says, 
that a child is going to be born from the woman. It's going to be a man. It's going to be a seed of the woman. And serpent, that child is going to strike. Serpent, you are going to strike the heel of that child. But that child is ultimately going to crush your head. He is going to end you with finality and totality. And he will bring about the solution to the need of mankind. Everyone who believes in that promise. And we see that promise progress and evolve and be more and more peeled back like an onion revealed until we understand it more fully through time. In this moment here, as we see Gabriel promising to Mary that she's going to conceive this child, Mary would have understood when Gabriel said, Son of God will be the title of this child. Mary would have thought back to the garden. Treasure that moment. Treasure these words that Gabriel is saying, God is answering his promise from of old. That your child would sit on the throne of David. God is answering his promise from of old. But more than that, Mary asks a very good question. She says in verse 34 to the angel, how will, this, how will this come to be since I am a virgin? A lot of you have kids in here. You know how the process works. That's a great question. And so whenever Mary asks that, she's also asking, how will I respond to this? This isn't just a question of will it come to pass, but Mary's saying, God, I know how babies are born, and I have a problem here. And so whenever they bring up this question, the angel says to her, you will conceive by the Holy Spirit. But more than that, when the angel says that she, a virgin, is going to conceive, this is an answer to another Old Testament promise tied to that greater promise that we've been talking about. That promise is found in Isaiah chapter 7. And you have one of the kings of the Old Testament, and he's leading the people of God. And the people of God are being oppressed by enemies, two different enemies, and they're afraid. And God goes to them and says, do you want a sign to know that I will deliver you from this oppression? And the people of God and the king representing them says, God, I would not put you to the test to ask you for a sign. And God in response to that says, I will give you a sign. A sign that I will deliver Israel from evil and from oppression, from all of their need. And this will be the sign. In Isaiah chapter 7, you could find that God promises that when a virgin conceives a son, that will be a sign that God is continuing to fulfill his promise of old. We find that promise answered in this passage today. We see evidence that God is a promise keeper in this historically recorded document, the Bible that tells us the word of God itself for our benefit, to believe in this season and to look back on it and to know that God did that which he promised. We take heart as Christians in this season, like no one else can in this season, when you think about why you celebrate the Christmas season, are the meals enjoyable? Of course they are. Are the presents to be enjoyed? Yes, they can be enjoyed. Is the time with family that you haven't seen and that you've been estranged from because of COVID and disagreements and things like that, when you come together, enjoy all of those things. But the first and foremost reason that the Christian celebrates and takes joy in this season is because God keeps his promises of old. And that keeping of the promise is salvation to you and to me who believe that God has done that which he promised. This is the gospel in the Christmas season. And we'll see this child born in the future, but today we see God doing something amazing. A child is conceived. Now, some of you might be thinking, a virgin birth? I love science. I love logic. I love reason. Could it be? Well, we're not going to get into all the details of the virgin birth. Please seek out some of the elders. Seek out the pastor. Ask them about that if you have questions. 
Think about this from the Christian perspective of the worldview. Christians believe that God created the world ex nihilo, out of nothing. God created everything that you see, everyone that you know, you yourself, out of nothing. God pre-existed existence itself. If God can create everything that we know today out of nothing, is it so inconceivable to the Christian that God could bring a child into the womb of a woman who already exists? Believe that God does the impossible, the unimaginable. But when God does miraculous things, it's to draw attention to special moments, to emphasize the role and the authority and the office of the person of Christ. He is preparing people to believe that from the very beginning, this child is different. As we look here, you'll see that Mary does begin to believe. We're going to segue into our second section that uh, Mary believes the promises that God makes to her. If you look at, <laughs> I apologize, if you look at verse 38, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Words of submission. Words of trust. Doesn't mean she knows all that's coming in the future. Doesn't mean that she is fully prepared in all senses for slanders from family about her pregnancy that she'll have to answer for. It doesn't mean that she's prepared to be pursued by King Herod and to have to flee into different countries. It doesn't mean that she's prepared to have to talk with her fiancé about the situation that's arose. Yet she knows the Lord is with her and would not have brought her to the situation without his very provision. And so she says, let it be to me according to your word. The first concrete sign of her belief. That's an example for you and for me and how to believe this day, today, in this very season of Christmas. Because when you sing Christmas carols and you go to work, people are going to ask you, do you really believe that Jesus was conceived of a virgin? Do you really believe that God is answering an old promise in this moment in history? Be prepared to say yes, Christian. Be prepared to know this story. Be prepared to enjoy explaining to them why you believe it, why you need that promise, why you need this child born in the Christmas season. But we break into this next scene, scene two, and Mary is talking to Elizabeth. Because, you know, Gabriel said, hey, by the way, if you want proof that what I'm saying is true, go talk to Elizabeth. Because you know how old she is, and she's six months pregnant. She's got a bun in the oven, and it's an old oven, people. Okay? Yeah. So, on the far end of the spectrum, the old end of the spectrum, there's a child that shouldn't have been able to be conceived, conceived. That should give encouragement to Mary that she, on the other end of the spectrum, in a different way, miraculously, could also conceive. And when God gives children to women who are known to be barren, he's doing something special in the Bible. There's a pattern to be seen there. Sarah, in the Old Testament, the wives of the patriarchs, you look at Hannah whenever she is pregnant with Samuel, the prophet. You look at these moments, and God does special things, revealing his plan for salvation for mankind. This is the truth of what's happening here. And we have two instances, two instances of it at once in a single moment in history, within nine months of each other. It's wonderful. Stop and ponder. What is the Lord up to? And then we look at verse 43, and we see Elizabeth's words. And Elizabeth says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You guys ever think about the song, uh, Holy Night, Silent Night, and you think about the verse and it says, Jesus, 
Lord at thy birth. And everybody raises the candle. Remember that moment. That phrase, Lord at thy birth, is tied to this, that Jesus is authoritative. He's divine. He's from God. He is commanding from his very birth. A child who is a prince born in a palace to a king is treated differently from the moment he comes into the world. The very way he's born is in gold and it's in cloth and there are song songs and there are celebrations in a city. And we know that Jesus' story plays out different because God is humble and he lifts up the humble and he doesn't pay attention to what the pride of men pays attention to. Yet know that this child is royal, is different from birth, the fulfillment of the Davidic prophecy from of old. And so when Elizabeth says that Mary is the mother of her Lord, the word Lord in this season and in this time connotes deity. It connotes authority. It connotes right to rule. She's saying this child is my hope, is the answer to my needs. Now remember, Elizabeth is pregnant with a very special child as well, the one who will be John the Baptist. And Elizabeth in her womb is filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, I think, is the only one in the Bible that we have recorded who is filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, not after birth. When you go to the Old Testament, you'll see that the Spirit rested on King David. You'll see that the Spirit rested on Samson. You'll see that the Spirit rested on different characters. But from the womb, John the Baptist is being prepared to proclaim and prepare the way for the Messiah that would come. And when you see this, and he leaps in the womb, there is the joining of mother and child and womb, both exclaiming together in joy, physically and audibly, this is a special child from God answering promises. Because Elizabeth is wise enough to recognize that though her child is special, vital to the progression of the plan of salvation that God has for his people, the Christ child is like no other. Christ child is special and to be pondered and to be thought about. And that this child, from his very birth, deserved everyone's devotion. Look again at verse 45. You see in verse 45, Elizabeth says this phrase, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from of old, from the Lord. When she says, blessed is she who believed, she's confirming that Mary believed. So we saw that Mary said, let it be to me according to your word, Gabriel, which was the word of God from God through Gabriel to Mary. But then she says, blessed is she believed, confirming that she believed. And she's saying that the blessing is tied in the belief, that to be able to believe is to be blessed. But there is blessing tied up in the believing itself. And you know how this works. It's, it's, a blessing to walk in obedience to the Lord. It's a blessing to bless others. But there's something particular in the actual moment of obedience. Whenever you're giving to those in need, whenever you're feeding the homeless, whenever you're speaking the word of God to those who need to hear it, there is something in that moment that's a blessing as well as the ability to have been made able to do that. And so there's so much wrapped up in this blessing. And when we see Elizabeth saying, blessed is she who believed, we see Mary respond and confirm in first verse 48 of her song she says for behold now on all generation from now on all generations will call me blessed mary is saying what elizabeth said about me that i'm blessed because i believed is true she says in her song i have believed and all generations will call me blessed 
but I'm more blessed because God has chosen for me, chosen me for this special moment, this privileged position, this once ever role to bear the Christ child into the world. The child everyone has been waiting for. People have been naming their child Joshua, Yeshua, the Messiah, the expected one, in anticipation of this for generations and generations. And Mary, an unknown woman from a small country town, not selected because of her royalty or her status, but chosen because she was humble in heart, because God had prepared her for a role, would carry this child into the world so the child might get to do the work that he was from all time meant to do. And we look at this passage and we have to ask, what kind of belief is this that Mary had? Because it's an example for us. If you were to go back to Genesis 15, you would read the words in Genesis 15 of Abraham when he believed. And to read the words that said that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. That God would fulfill the promise that God would give Abraham descendants and descendants and people and people and people under his name and of his lineage. And that answer, a promise of old, is also fulfilled in the Christ child that we see being conceived here. And Mary's faith is similar. She believes God's word will come true, will come to pass, and she's counted blessed for it. There's something similar, something shared there. But then you go to the New Testament, and you think about doubting Thomas when Jesus is resurrected from the grave, and it's found in John 20, and Jesus says, Thomas, are you blessed because you've seen me resurrected and you believe? Blessed are those who haven't seen me yet have believed. And each of you who believe that this story is true, that this history is true, that Christ was born, conceived of a virgin, to fulfill that promise of God to take away the sins of the world and make us reconciled to God forever, those of you who believe are counted blessed. Though we haven't seen Christ physically, we know him in his word. We know him by the spirit. We know him in fellowship. The celebration of Christians in the Christmas season do you believe? Do you trust that these promises of God are being answered in this child? This child is the hope of your salvation. The only sole hope of salvation for every man and woman. In the promise exists God's provision. You see, a promise is good when it meets a need. It's best in some instances when it meets a need. If I tell you, hey, I promise you, I'm going to mow my grass this week, you don't care. It's not your grass, it's my grass. If I promise you I'm going to mow your grass, it's even better. You benefit, right? And if your grass starts getting a little long, you're going to say, hey, Randy, you promised to mow my grass. I see it inch by inch that you're not keeping that promise. But think about the instance of a promise kept uh, of homeless people on the street in January in Kansas City. We all know the cold weather that's coming, the rainstorms and the sleet and the ice and the bitter wind that's cold enough to cancel school. You think about that kind of weather that's coming and imagine that you're on the street and you haven't had fellowship and you haven't had a hot meal in a week and your coat isn't strong enough to stop the ice-biting wind and you're tired and you're weary and you're sick. And someone comes to you and says, this time tomorrow, I will return to this very spot with hot sandwiches and hot coffee and a good coat and a good blanket. That answer meets a need. And those people to whom that need appeals are likely to return because what someone else has is what they need. 
what this child conceived in the womb has is what you need. In fact, he's the very thing you need yourself. This is how good the Christ child is that we are reading about the story of today. But who is this promise for? I'll tell you today that you and I, apart from Christ, are worse off than beggars in the cold without food, without hot drink, and without coats and blankets. We are left to account for our own sins apart from Christ. And Christ came to answer this. He is the warming jacket. He is the blanket. He is the hot meal. And whenever you look at uh, verses uh, 53 of Mary's song, we don't have time to go through the whole song, but we'll look at verse 53 together. And it says that through this child, God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. How did God feed the hungry in this child? You see, the hungry, the empty, the needy, those who can admit that they're not sufficient on their own, those that can admit they have a need before God, can go to him and say, God, I have no false pretenses before you. I need you. Please provide to me the thing I need. And God is faithful to give them that which you ask for. If you have not done that, ask God to give you Christ, who is your salvation, your reconciliation to him. But look, it says that he sent away the rich empty. How are we to understand the rich? It's not how much material possession they have. It's not the number in their bank account. It's that they are self-satisfied and content in what they have in this world, in this life. They are content apart from Christ. They're content apart from God's provision. They're content in what they believe that they've achieved. They do not see their need. And God says, you thought you were okay, but you were sorely mistaken. And it's more than a tragedy. Because while they had time to believe, they did not believe. This is a season to remember that which we have believed, Christians. That God has filled you with the meal, the bread of life, Christ himself. Look at verse 54 with me. It says that God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. When God talks about Israel in the Old Testament, you should think of the promises that God has made to Israel and the people of God as a whole. And it says, in remembrance of his mercy. God's mercy in the Old Testament is directly tied to his promise to us. That promise from Genesis 3, where he said he would send a child to crush the head of the serpent, to overcome sin, to reconcile man to himself. The promise to David that we would have a ruler who would be just and perfect and lovable one worthy of all praise and glory and adoration, and that this child would be born of, the, of uh, a virgin, and that would be an indicator. Like a volcano starting to heat up, there's smoke. It's starting to rumble, anticipate something about to happen on the scene. And as you look at verse 55, it says, and as God spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, how long does this promise last? How long do the benefits of this child conceived in the, in the womb of Mary extend? These benefits extend forever, available for each person's lifetime until they draw their last breath. The opportunity to believe that this promise is available is today. If you were to go to Romans 10, you would find that it says that you're justified and you believe in the heart. And then you confess with your mouth. And whenever you hear those words, wrestle with the question, have I believed? And if you have believed, know this, for every Christian here this morning, remember that the promise of old is a promise answered in Christ. And remember that you are counted as blessed for truly believing. And this is the joy of the Christmas season. 
So please take a moment to reflect that this child is special and a promise answered. Please uh, bow your heads with me. Almighty Father, thank you for promises answered. God, we know that there is no shadow of turning with you, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we praise you for that. Lord, we pray, praise you for a promise accomplished. Lord, we praise you for the gift of your son to us. We could never have asked for such a wonderful gift. And it should be overwhelming joy that unifies us as we remember Christ. We remember you and your promises fulfilled. Lord, we pray that you would make this a reality as we come together and sing another song and take fellowship and communion, remembering Christ and what he accomplished later in his life. We pray that you would bless us in this time together. In your name and to your glory, amen.